Hey guys, welcome to Bagging Boardcast, episode number 511. I'm Chris. I'm John. And I'm Paul. And we're a weekly podcast that comes to you in three ways. The first being The Week in Geek, bringing you the top geek stories of the past week. Next is the list, the comic books that we are looking forward to coming out February 8th, 2023. We follow it up with our weekly rotating main topic. And since we're in February, we're bringing you the month of love, where each week we're going to be talking about some of the comic book creators that we love. And we're going to be breaking it down by sections. Uh, today, we're starting off right with the very first thing you see when you go to your comic book store or comiXology or whatever digital platform. Uh, we're starting off with our favorite cover artists. I thought you were going to say disgruntled employees. At no, people at my comic book shop are always very nice and friendly. Oh, very nice. Oh, that's good. Yes. But just like we always see the covers of the comic books we read we also see the beers that we're drinking for the podcast eh? Eh? yeah because that works what's what's hanging out with friends if you're not drinking you know uh john and i we're drinking the same thing we're drinking the same thing we're beer buddies beer buddies all right we're drinking from treehouse not other half uh their black ipa called the Raven, or is it just called Raven? It's very hard to read this can because it's black on black script. It's Raven. Black bar. Yep. Just Raven, not the. It's cleaner that way. Uh, and this is uh, served in a one pint can. And I'm looking for the ABV and I'm having a hard time finding it. But uh, it is a, a black IPA. John, what do you think of it? Uh, it's okay. It's definitely not yeah. my favorite black IPA, but it is a good black IPA um, from different brewery solicitations. It looks like a lot of breweries are going to be putting out black IPAs this year, which makes me happy. Uh, local brewery Thin Man just put out a black IPA. Stone, I think, is going to have uh, they're going to have a black IPA coming out. So <clears throat> if I can get some Cascadian Dark Ales. I will rather uh, enjoy it because I do enjoy the style. This beer is good. Don't get me wrong. It's a nice drinking beer. Mm-hmm. It delivers that roasty with a little bit of hop. Um, it's good. But it's not yeah, great. It's, it's got that tiny bit of – it's not a bitter hop finish. It is that slight juicy hop finish, and it's very slight. And it makes me – Want a little bit more on that IPA kind of finish, but yeah, it has that nice roasted kind of like a burnt uh, toast kind of malt up front. Like it's a tight, like roasted flavor. I don't, know. I don't know how to describe it, but but that's the best I can describe it. It's yeah, it's good. It's not my favorite of the black IPAs that I've ever had, but at least it's a black IPA. Yes, it's as good as our. Mix of what was it? Uh, Old Rasputin. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, was it just not celebration? C- it was just Sierra Nevada. It, yeah. Was it I yeah see. Sierra Nevada Pale or, or it was Too Hearted? It was one of those. Oh, it might have been Too Hearted. That was a good mix. But then we realized that Old Rasputin is pretty much a really good, <laughs> almost black IPA on its own. Yeah. Um, Chris. Yes. Are, are, are you soured on what you're drinking? 
No, I am. I mean, so. I'm not drinking the same beers you guys uh, bears mentioning, but I am adhering to my new beers resolutions where I'm going to be trying to hit up not new Florida breweries, but new to me Florida breweries uh, for as long as I can. And we went to, again, a newer one for us the other day, and this is Tactical Brewing. Uh, they've been around for about four years, but this is the first time that I've gone out there, uh, had a wonderful time much like last week, uh, talking about Hourglass. I'll, I'll give my final thoughts at the end of the show. Uh, but I brought home a bunch of four-packs. I might split them between this week and save some of them for next week, too, just to to savor them and kind of give them the due that they need. But I'm starting off with their Mo Muggles Mo Problems. And this is a butterbeer-inspired sour ale. So this was a sour ale that was aged on caramel, butterscotch, and vanilla, sitting at 5% ABV. So very light, very crushable. Um, I'm about halfway through my can of this, and every time I take a sip, I just think, oh, that's very interesting. Oh, that's interesting. Let me take another sip to get more of it. Um, It is definitely a sour ale. And Yanni's thoughts on this beer where she wishes it had been like a stout, which I think would have been very good as well. But if you've ever had the actual butter beer from the Wizarding World of Harry Potter at Universal Studios, or if you've ever tried any of the butter beer inspired like specialty sodas that some I did places it both. make, you did it both. Those are very just rich, like super sweet. I think this being a sour ale with that caramel, butterscotch, and vanilla cuts through that richness. And I think that's to the benefit of this beer because it does lighten up those flavors a bit. It does make it something that you want to keep going back to because it's not super heavy, rich, like sugar bomb on your tongue anytime you take a sip. Like that sour ale on it really kind of just makes it dance across the taste buds and you get that nice like caramel and butterscotch and vanilla richness. But then it's like, Ooh, like that right amount of fizz being a sour ale. Uh, I really enjoy this one. I think this is fantastic. Uh, And also the can art for it's really cool. Uh, One of the things that after we got home from the brew and we were talking about is like, I just like their can art. So I wound up following the artist that does all of it on Instagram because their art's just cool. So as I'm drinking the beers, I'm probably going to be sending some of that stuff over to you guys. But yeah, tactical brewing, strong start. And also, I really enjoyed the beers that I had when I was there. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the best. Um, I was just recently in uh, Atlanta and I went to one of the breweries that was named one of the best new breweries in 2022. And their beers were very good there. Um, but you could tell that they're still trying to figure it out. They were like one step below like Thin Man with their IPAs, um, but their sours were really uh, were really good. They were kind of a step up. So uh, yeah, it's kind of fun to find a new brewery uh, and enjoy the things that they're doing. Thanks. Yeah, and just like you know, I found a new brewery a couple months ago. Warner Brothers and DC Studios found their new CEO in James Gunn and Peter Safran. And we've had some hints. We've had some fan speculation. Paul, are you all right there? <laughs> I'm just 
enjoying that segue so well. It was so smooth. It was better than see. I made up for I made up for the first one. Smooth. But amidst everything going on, we've had a bunch of stuff canceled from DC Studios on the HBO Go side of things or HBO Max. Keep thinking HBO Go still. I don't know why. but the other day, we actually did have a post from DC starring James Gunn himself, who is outlining the first eight to ten years of the new DCU. And he did kind of prompt, like, this isn't everything that they're going to be doing. This is just the first batch of stuff that they're able to talk about. Um, they're calling so it I, gods and monsters. Right? Yes, so... I thought that was kind of cool because much like how Marvel has their phases, it seems like what DC is going to be doing is kind of be putting stuff out in like an, an arc or like a collected, a collection. Uh, and this one's called gods and monsters. Um, so the very first thing he did when he talked about, because I did write this down, um, he talked about the upcoming slate of stuff that we already knew about things that have already been discussed. Um, first movie that we have coming out is Shazam and the Fury of the Gods. And one of the things that I thought was kind of interesting about this is he did mention that Shazam's always kind of been off in his own little corner. So he fits in well with what they're going to be doing. So that little like flip of the phrase made me think like, okay, well, Shazam's probably going to be a part of stuff coming in later on again. Like I think Shazam is someone that they're going to be keeping around because he's kind of free from the continuity that they had outside of that Superman cameo at the end of the first one, which really wasn't anything like he, he's just doing his own thing. And also if they need to recast, you know, the, it's the magic of Shazam. Like anybody can, you know, yeah. be, you know, Billy, you know, have that magic, either the kid actor or, you know, the adult actor that plays them grown up. So it, it seems like a freebie yeah. almost. Yeah. Th- th- thoughts on Shazam, John? Uh, I'm looking John, who is on the laptop this time? So. Yeah, I'm no longer on my phone. I'm back. I'm back in new the Studio X. What? what, what? <laughs> studio Ten. Studio. Studio Ten. 10. Uh, no, no, was, you're not in the studio. You're now in. You guys are in your own studio. So it would. You guys would count your own now. I'm counting mine as the original. Like. I am the original studio, so I would count the letters. No, Martin Road. Original studio. Martin Road yeah. Studios is the original studios. It's the original studios, and I carry that forward. Mm. Yeah, I'm claiming it. Ship, ship of thesis. <laughs> uh, but anyways, continue, John. I just want to say, you sound so good again. Thank you. Uh, I look, I look forward to Shazam. I look forward to seeing where things might fall, and. Gods and Monsters, Shazam could definitely fall into play within what they're going to be doing with that first part. Um, so you could have a third Shazam movie if Shazam 2 does well. But then again, well, the next movie that comes out after that, he says, where the, no, the next movie the is Flash. Uh, the Flash, Flash, where he yes. says it's the end. It of resets. The Reset the DC universe. Which I did also think it was interesting that he was like, oh, I've seen it. I love it. Just kind of maybe trying to instill some hope into this movie. But then just to kind of like undercut me, like this is the one that resets everything. It's like, okay, so this is definitely them hitting the button on this one. 
Like, and they did also just assume. Uh, they did also just recently release a thing about um, Ezra Miller um, hmm. that he is still under treatment. He's still working towards everything, or they are working towards everything. Um, that they're supportive of what he's going, what they are going through, and all of that. So it it was interesting too to say he's excited about this movie, but then also they released a statement saying that they are. They are the supportive of Ezra Miller's got some problems and continued work. Yeah, yeah. Through, uh, that he's therapy he's, and rehab. Yeah, that he's working towards all that. So I thought that was interesting too that they put out the statement. They're excited about it, and they also put out a statement. Hey, I know whatever. I know everything that happened a couple of years ago and what was going on, but they're working on it. Uh, next movie that got a shout out was Blue Beetle, which they didn't have a lot to say about Blue Beetle. Just like, oh, a great part of the DCU. Like, OK, that's 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 cool. Behind the scenes stuff looks good. Like the costumes got it. So I understand them not wanting to dwell too much on something that hasn't really had a lot come out about it yet. Um, but then. <laughs> Again, another movie that has been shot and I feel like they've been sitting on is Aquaman 2. Oh, wait, which... before the, we move on from Blue Beetle, I do want to say that I watch Cobra Kai and the kid that that, that's, <clears throat> that plays Miguel in that is playing Blue Beetle. And he's good. He's like one of my favorite parts of that okay. series. I haven't checked that out. I've heard good things about it, but that was also just announced it was coming to an end, right? Yes. Yeah, season six will be okay. its final season. I didn't realize there was that many. Yeah, they did like two or three on YouTube because it was like when they launched yeah, that two. YouTube, they launched that YouTube Red where you had to mm-hmm. pay for programming. Um, you got that and then it went from YouTube to Netflix. Yep. <clears throat> it might have went to Netflix during season two. I'm forgetting. I'm, it might have been with uh, YouTube still with season two and then moved over at three, but. I do know that, like, I think these either the first two or first three seasons were on YouTube. Okay. And definitely at least two. Then uh, the final movie that they talked about that has already been something that we really knew about was Aquaman 2, which didn't have a lot to say. And basically everything he said about Aquaman 2 is just, and this leads us into the next big thing, which is what is now the gods and monsters chapter, which uh, he did confirm something that they had already discussed where across DCU, it is going to be consistent storytelling, uh, consistent actor wise, just to keep that thread going through everything. Uh, And this is between animation, television, games, and movies. Uh, And surprise, the very first thing that they announced as part of this is the creature commandos, animated series yeah uh seven episode series um which looks like i really like the animation that they showed for it it looks fun um he says he's already written all the episodes like it's gonna be interesting to see where that's gonna go and i think everything will be starting to come out in 2025 they said so you still have Oh, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. I was going to say, you still have two years before we're going to actually start seeing these things. So for up until that two-year period, every time you see a DC Universe movie, 
when you walk out of the theater, will you say, how bad Batgirl, how bad could it have been? Did you see like, that uh, Peter Safran came out and put yeah. out a statement about it? He's saying, yeah, he, he, yeah, there's no way they could put it out. Yeah, no it's like it was, it wasn't releasable. He's like, yeah. you know, nothing against the people that worked hard on it. Like we had a great cast. He even says, like, you know, I talked to the directors of it the other day. You know, like I've talked to the other people involved. Like moving forward with stuff with them. Like mm-hmm. everybody did great, but it was literally like we would not have wanted to put that movie out. Like it would have been. I think I can't remember. He didn't say it would have been brand damaging, but it would have been like damaging to everybody involved in it, which I know, which seems like rough. But I I appreciate the candor because we've had not great movies come out. Mm -hmm. And those are the kind of things that still just hang over some of these big franchises or shared universes. Like and if it was to the point where they're like, don't don't even shuffle it off to something like streaming. If there's like no, don't don't do it. It must have had issues. What's uh, yeah, and that's sad because. But also, I kind of think that might be a little bit of like gaming the system. Like, hey, I'm going to put this bad press out about it because you know they no longer want to hear about. I really the Batgirl cut. But they're still going to be hearing about that kind of thing. I think this was just. They don't need to say anything else about Batgirl ever again. Like, it's already been canned, destroyed. They literally cannot release it due to the tax breaks that they got for it. So they they don't have to pretend it existed anymore. So the fact that they said this, I mean, it's probably very true. Like, And they the, the whole time, once they take, took over, both um, Peter and James, like, they've come out against everything somebody puts an article they'd come out and say like no this isn't right i can tell you this but this isn't right or they've said yeah yeah yep this is what's going on like and i mean also like think about the ownership and the accountability that you have to have to like come out and say like no this wasn't good like we didn't want anybody to have to put their names on this like if i feel like you've never heard a studio say something like that before like you'll see stuff come on be like oh it didn't perform to our liking or we had higher expectations like nobody's ever come on and be like no like you thank us later yeah and maybe uh the fact that we haven't seen a leak of it like just hit the internet because i could see if the studio if people involved at dc is but you know now that there's a new dc studios if they were actually like hey we wish people could could see this we already made it. We took the loss on it. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. We accidentally left a thumb drive someplace. You know, oh, I, I don't know how it got out. Uh, it would cost more money for us to try to, you know, try to grab it back from the Internet. It's out there. What can we do? You know, we're not. Mm-hmm. Yes, we can. We'll, we'll send the letter. Hey, please, please don't, Internet. We'll make a statement. Please, hey, Internet, please don't. Uh, but it's out. Like, and we haven't even seen that. So, uh, which is, which maybe, maybe it was really bad. Ugh. But every time, if I see a bad DC movie from now on, I'll be like, well, then how bad? It had to, it had to have been better <laughs> than Batgirl. Uh, and I think that was better than this. Batgirl. That was better than the Brendan Fraser <laughs> starring Batgirl. The Renaissance. 
Uh, right. Creature so, Commanders creature is commando. interesting uh, because I don't think this is a property that anybody's been clamoring for. I just want... I'm ex- expecting and thinking this is just going to be something to show how deep they want to go on some of these cuts and kind of prepare people for how different and weird DCU could be because there's some stuff coming up that I'm surprised that is coming out. Uh, not necessarily surprised by the Waller live action TV show coming out. Uh, it's a character people like Viola Davis has done well in suicide squad and the suicide squad. Um, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm okay with this. I don't know if it's something that I would necessarily watch, but from how I, much I enjoyed Peacemaker, like if they're able to kind of weave those together a little bit, I'm, I might, I might. Didn't be more he say that she was teaming up with some of the peacekeeper or peacekeeper gang? Yeah, um, probably his wife. The the uh, the girl that played like her daughter might be popping up in it. Uh, yeah, and then it's, it's also it's, it's I, you won't like it, but still, I think you should check it out. Um, writers that and, and the team that are working on it is one of the head writers of the HBO Watchmen series, which I thought was fantastic. And then um, the writer for Doom Patrol as well, um, which people really, really enjoyed the Doom Patrol. Um, so I'm like, oh, that's a pretty good team to bring this together. Um, Amanda Waller is one of those characters I love to hate because she is so ruthless that it's like, oh, yeah, Ooh, ooh, she's bad news. So I'd like to see. I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind checking out. And even like Peacemaker, I was like, how can they make a show about Peacemaker? And I loved it. Like, it was great. One of my favorite shows of last year. I I kind of always feel maybe this is just my own fandom uh, fan canon uh, that Amanda Waller is Batman with the authority with, you know, with, with actual authority, but without the moral Code. high ground, you know, yeah. I get that. moral weight. So it's like that trade off. Like she, if you took Batman and like t- stripped away his moral code, but gave him the authority to do what he wanted to do, you get Amanda Waller. Yeah, I can see that. Um, so that's what I think. That's what makes her an interesting character to me. It's like different take. Um, I did want to ask about, because we talked about creature commandos, the DC animated universe has still been happening. Those direct to DVD, like, yeah. Uh, shows. Has there been an announcement that they're done or is those just going to be labeled elsewhere? I, I think that's that still might happen? all just be labeled elseworlds unless, there's something maybe that they do want to adapt to live action. I don't see them stopping that because I think it's a good venue for them to do like some adaptations of stuff that came out in comics that they might not be able to do in like the actual DC universe, just because of like continuity or difficulty or something. Especially with that unified like voice acting thing, because they've, you know, go out and like try to get big name actors every once in a while. Sometimes they, or sometimes they stay with their, they've developed their own crew of who Batman, Superman and Wonder Woman and the rest of them are like, it seems like for their like, Oh, we're doing flashpoint. So this is like a standard one. We need 
these the same actors we always get uh stuff like that so yeah okay what's what's next after uh, uh the next one is going to be our first big screen release and this is going to be superman legacy and this they said this is the true start of their their new and what year is this 2025 2025 so two, two years away uh, he years. said okay. he's already written like the script for it like he's a big fan of it uh people were assuming that he was working on something superman related because he did put up a picture of him like himself reading uh the grant morrison all-star superman mm-hmm. and that's the exact artwork that they used for this tease uh yeah i'm not surprised they're starting off big with Superman because it is a character that people love and want to see done right. And uh, until we find out more about it, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh, and it's also said it's not a origin story. Mm. Like it's already going to start taking place. He's already been Superman for quite a while. Um, I have, I have thoughts on that. And we'll kind of like circle back to it when we get a couple more away. Um, something else that we knew was coming cause they've been working on it for a while. Uh, this is the live action TV series lanterns, which we knew that they were doing. It's gone over like a little bit of a revamp because originally it was supposed to be starting like Guy Gardner okay. and like Alan yeah. Scott, mm-hmm. uh, now focused more on Hal Jordan and John Stewart, which it's fine. I mean, those are like the two most recognizable lanterns. I have no issues with them uh, doing that. Interesting that they said that this is going to be kind of like a darker, like almost like true detective style Green Lantern mm-hmm. show that's going to be leading into more stuff later on in Gods and Monsters, which I I think is cool. I, I mean, I love me some Green Lantern, and I love when Green Lantern's kind of a part of that bigger universe like setting something off having the payoff being like a crossover event yeah they said they discover a i wouldn't say a crime but they discover something that's going to lead to all this conspiracy like yeah like a conspiracy and i think that will tie into the next movie with uh crazily yeah the authority uh a superhero team that's been around forever that I have never read anything from mm-hmm. because they were kind of off on their own, like in Wildstorm, like they were the Wildstorm Justice League. And that was fine. But then they brought everything in together. So outside of like Midnighter popping up in like a hey, random yes. Batman or something, I don't even know what, like I've never read any of this. Uh, yeah, I think I picked up an issue when it was like, relaunching under DC and I was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anything about these characters, but it's didn't dumb anything down. It expected you to have read everything before. And I was like, I thought this would be a good jumping on point, but it is not. Um, Yeah. I I've heard good things about the authority authority definitely has a huge fan base. But I was like, really, when he announced that. I This might be to start like the DCU's Guardians of the Galaxy, because it's a known property by people in the know, quote unquote. But even those in the know are like, oh, Guardians of the Galaxy? 
the authority. Like, I think there's enough room for interpretation with this franchise that it's still, it's not going to have a broad appeal, but it might be enough to get people interested. Yeah, I'm just looking at the, uh, I'm just trying to see how much like the Kindle edition of like the original Warren Ellis run of the authority was, is because it might become a trade policy. I can't see that being more than like 10 bucks because it'd be like, like 20, 25 years ago. I think that came out. Yeah. Maybe even longer. I don't know. That's a good pick for you, Paul. Um, And not to skip ahead, but you know, behind the scenes stuff is we, I picked Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow for my trade and policy, which will be next month, just on the fact that it was um, being so highly regarded. It was up for an awards. It was voted one of the best books of 2022 that I was like, hey, we should check it out. Um, and plus, it's my boy, Tom King. He's one of your boys. He's one of my boys. Um, so it was really interesting, you know, later on than that gets picked, but. Is this one of those things like, yeah, let's let's dig into these like authority would be a good trading policy because it's a blind spot for all three of us. And mm-hmm. on the plus side, too, if you want to wait on it, Paul, you probably got like a good two, three years before <laughs> the movie's coming out. If you want to wait for that yeah, price yeah. to go down a little bit uh, right now, it's like a Kindle price is a uh, uh, save ten dollars. So it's nine dollars, nine ninety nine. I think I'm going to buy it with yeah, one. That's not bad. Here. That's a good price. I was, I'll grab that once we we wrap up. I will have to talk about it in the post show so I don't forget. Uh, then the next franchise we're getting is TV live action again, and this is Paradise Lost, which is going to be taking place on Themyscira, but it's going to be more Paradise Island by way of Game of Thrones. It sounds, which. You kind of have my attention on that. Like, I think that just sounds really interesting and cool. And if we wind up getting a Wonder Woman, like, spinning out of this, like, if this is the launching point for Wonder Woman, I think that would already be better than what we got in Batman versus Superman. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it would definitely be interesting to see where this goes um, and where is going to take place in the past. Is it going to take place in the future? Is it supposed to be current? Like, where is this set um, is one of the big things that I would wonder. When that question kind of leads into the one I was almost like hinting at before with the brave and the bold, which is going to be our new big screen Batman film, but it's going to be Batman and Robin, which is cool because we haven't had a Robin movie in forever, but interesting take that this is Damian Wayne Robin. So at this point, I mean, comic books, we've already had, three other Robins coming in. So I'm curious how they're going to play with the time on this one, because I'm okay with them doing a Damien story, but are they going to leave room in the Batman history that they can still touch on some of those other favorites like Dick, Jason and Tim? Like, I believe, I believe they will because he says this is the beginning of the Bat family. And I don't think you'd have Damien as the first Robin, I think you're going to have those other cast of characters appearing in this. I hope they will so. I hope so. And then spin, like, they'll be able to spin their own stuff out of it. Like later on, can you imagine if we get like death in the family as a movie, which leads into like a red hood movie? Like that could be really cool if it's, if it's done well. 
Yeah. Thoughts, Paula, your, your favorite Robin <laughs> coming to big screen. We finally get Robin, and you're going to give us Damien. You guys know my – I will restate my case. Damien isn't Bruce Wayne's Robin. Damien is Dick Grayson's Robin. He doesn't work. He's the edgy. He's like, I'm going to be Batman one day and I'm going to be edgy. And Batman's like, no. That edge will will never let you be Batman because Batman does not kill. You cannot go over that line. Damien's like, I might go over that line. And Bruce Wayne, there's no there's no yin and yang there. There's no, you know, counterpoint because it's just like. I'm going to out Batman, Batman, and it doesn't as Robin, that doesn't make sense. It made sense when he was the Robin for Dick Grayson because Dick Grayson's like, I'm not Batman and you're trying to be Batman. I think that's, but that's what I liked about Damien because it wasn't just him alongside, you know, Dick as Batman. It was also, he was coming into that whole family and he had that kind of sibling rivalry with everyone because he felt that need to step up and present himself as someone that that could hang yeah, when see, he was outclassed still by everyone. Paul doesn't have that because he's the Dick Grayson of his family. <laughs> so he knows like he's got an older brother that he's like he knew early on, like I'm better than this guy. <laughs> Wait, that doesn't make me the Dick Grayson. Then. Well, you're the you. That makes him the Damien. Oh, <laughs> no. No, but he clearly. Yes. Right. He's myself. Be very pretend, much oh, I was going to say, I wish I had, I wish I had like a Robin or like Batman versus Robin because I would hold it up and be like, Paul, look in this beer for me. <laughs> but I don't, alas. Okay. We, we all broke down that I want to, uh, you know, uh, show that I'm giving, but be very un- uncomfortable while trying to give people things. Um, this is break me down a little bit more, John. How am I the Dick Grayson of my family? Because you're like the you're the elder state. Mm. Turn aside. You're the <laughs> older older statement that your parents did like, and they didn't have to worry about you. That's true. You know. And I can see your brother, your brother is, uh, your younger brother is, is, is very smart. All the McGowans are very smart. They're all very smart people. Uh, but your other brother is kind of a little more intelligent. He works like in the medical kind of field and Mm -hmm. stuff. So if anybody is going to be a Damien in your family, I think it would be your older brother. Mm -hmm. Right? Where he needs he, attention, needs to uh, prove himself, and he's just. But then he just doesn't. Right, right, right. He's just he he's also <laughs> he's the turd of the group, right? Uh, I was okay with us like on the podcast, <laughs> not on the internet, recording, discussing my flavels, labels, labels, like Chris said. Yeah, labels. Um. 
I'm not. A, I don't know if I want to break down my brother. Hey, no, I love. I love the guy. You know. He, yes. He had a nickname. And that's why I said that term. Yes. Yes. Well, that's because he came down wearing a white shirt with pit stains on it, like Turd Ferguson from. Uh, isn't that from Pete and Pete? I don't. Know. No. No. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> we're off topic. Yeah. We're off yes. topic. Because we still have three more things to talk about, and we're still not even out of the Weekend Geek yet. Because uh, the next one that he announced, and we had talked about this previously on the show, because he had posted on his Twitter or Instagram or something, hey, what lesser-known DC character would you guys want to see brought to live action? And just, there was no, like, poll. It was basically like, hey, Type in whoever you want to see. And the overwhelming response was for Booster Gold. So we are getting a Booster Gold live action TV show. And it's everything he hit on it is Booster Gold. Schlubby guy from the future comes back in time to be Earth's greatest superhero. Did I'm guessing he's never paid attention to like the NHL uh, all-star vote. Where the fans can vote to pick who 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 can join the All Star game, um, because normally NHL fans will just pick like a random guy that isn't like that's been in the league for a long time. Bodie McBoatface. Yeah, pretty much. Skater I, Mc, no, it's Skater McSkaterton because it's the NHL. Um, I feel like this is a little bit different though, where it's not just people being. Booster Gold Bo- seems a little... But Booster Gold is a big fan-favorite character, though. Okay. Think about think about Booster Gold in 52. Like, I'm not saying that the people that get voted for from the league, they're not, like, an all-star. They're not, the, like, the top... They're mid-tier that are like, oh, we'll just vote this guy in because it'll kind of be funny. Like, the, the defenseman that... Please make if, ten. But if people were doing I'm going that, to talk for, sports and it won't matter. That's okay, because if people were doing that for James Gunn, it would have wound up being. I'm trying to think of like a the terrible turtle. '90s character. Who'd you say? The turtle, which is the yeah, Flash, the Flash villain. Like it would have been someone like that, or. But I, I feel uh, like even Classic Man probably would have had a little bit more credence. Uh, uh what Minuteman or. Um, who's Silver Bullet? Um, yeah, Bulletier. Like one. So yeah, any of like the Seven Soldiers of Victory. Like yeah. I feel like Booster Gold was like a people like answering from the heart. Like nobody's trying to game the system. Be like, ah, I'm gonna make this guy fail by picking Booster Gold. I'm thinking there might have been. I, I'm thinking there were some honest votes for that, but I'm thinking there might have been a little tinge towards that too. Uh, maybe. I think it'd be a little bit more on the cynical side there. I think there's, there probably would have been like far more characters that people were like troll voting with than a legitimate like fan favorite character. Okay, okay, maybe. Um, but wow, 511 episodes and I'm the cynic. Now you're the cynic. <laughs> now I'm but, the cynic. Uh, the next one that they talked about was the one that you were. Briefly discussing, John, because this is something that as soon as he announced it, I was like, oh, shit, we're reading that like next month. Like now I have more reason to read it. Uh, Yeah. And that is Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow written by uh, Tom King 
And this is Supergirl who doesn't know, I guess it, I, from what I gather is the Supergirl that doesn't know where her place is. This is the girl who was raised on Krypton, had to watch Krypton be destroyed and who was sent to protect her cousin who was a baby. But by the time she gets there, he's already an adult and a superhero. And where does that fall for her? Um, so it's supposed to be, like I said, like I've heard really great things about this book um, for the last little bit. That's why I picked it. And now it's just extra that it's going to be a movie that um, we'll probably talk about in two to three years. Yeah, I've heard like this is the the Tom King story is basically um, Supergirl goes out into space and like and then to celebrate like her 21st birthday, basically. And she can't get drunk here on earth. And, uh, then basically true grit starts like <laughs> while she's like trying to get, actually have her first drink and like, actually like just drink her sorrows away for the very first time. Like a young girl comes up to her and it's like, Hey, I need help. And I heard, I see the, the symbol on your chest. You're, you're from the house of L you're you know, Superman. Uh, and then it's like her, like begrudgingly helping this kid. Mm. Like it. Sounds like the most interesting Supergirl story I've heard in a while. <laughs> it's like, come on. <clears throat> this is my vacation. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then that is going to lead into Swamp Thing. Another another surprise. Like, a lot of weird deep cuts in this, but I'm okay with it. Like, And I think, if I'm not mistaken, the Swamp Thing is going to be part of the Elseworld, too. No, this is part of, this is a film is it, adaptation, yeah. And I so think he's when, the monsters in the gods. Uh, I so think I the Creature Commandos is going to lead into Swamp, Swamp Thing, thing. honestly. I understand. Okay, we got Superman, Supergirl, Gods, and I'm guessing Swamp Thing, Monster. But then he also controls all the green, so kind of a god. I do hope they get into like the green and the rot and the red. Like I think that could be like a really cool backbone to tie together. I don't understand how you couldn't. Like I mean, how- but you have to remember for the bulk of Swamp Thing's lifespan like that there was no overarching like emotional spectrum of life mm. for this yeah and i think this is supposed to be more based off of um alan moore's swamp thing okay which introduced the world to john constantine who keanu reeves has come out and said (laughs) something about a rumor i saw a headline and i'm like i don't care (laughs) yeah Constantine's not terrible. Like I haven't watched it in years, but it wasn't bad. Like it, it could be decent. Yeah, it was up. I remember it being. I'm like, I could put it up with the X Men. Yeah, I would say it was better than Jonah Hex. Like it was better than Blade. No, I'm trying to think like other. Yeah, nobody shit a bird out of their mouth. Better than like (laughs) Blade Trinity. Like I think it kind of gets overshadowed by the better movies that came out that time like Blade or Mm X-Men. But I think, 
I think it's a decent watch. Even if yeah. you have no knowledge of like the character, like I mean, that's a movie I could probably tell my mom, like, Hey, watch Constantine and let me know what you think. And like, I would get a text me like, Oh, Keanu Reeves is in this. Like, I think she'd be like, Oh, this is cool. And that series was on, was it on NBC? No, no Lucifer was no, it was Lucifer. It, it was on Fox. Constantine it, or was Constantine on, was on ABC or NBC. It was on one NBC, of yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, or CBS. It was one. It was one of it's the. It's probably CBS or CW because they wound up folding him into Legends of Tomorrow. So probably, honestly, probably CBS since they're like co-owners. Supergirl. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, and I mean that wraps everything up, which was uh, a I, lot I, of a lot of stuff. But man, like I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. Um, definitely, definitely uh, excited about what is to come. So let's all be Pauls right now and be super cynical. Which ones of these do you think is going to be getting canceled first? Uh, because we have the internet. It was on NBC. Ah, thank uh, you. Constantine. Yep. Um, you can watch it now for free on Apple TV Plus. Well, if you are a subscriber to Apple TV, not Apple TV Plus. I don't know I'm sorry, Authority. what was the cynical question? Uh, authority and Paradise Lost are the things that I think will be canceled. Which do you think has like the highest likelihood to be canceled? Mm, mm. Uh, I am going to go with uh, Swamp Thing because that seems like it's furthest out and they might change gears before they get to it. Uh, and what's the and then uh, Lobo? No, well, Lobo wasn't announced there. Um, rumored but no no mention of it so i'm surprised and i just wanted to mention that i was surprised that you know it was mentioned uh and then see i think superman if you get superman you're going to get supergirl but they'll probably i don't think it's going to be the tom king version i think they're going to do something different with it uh well the other thing that he came out to say is he wants to take classic stories great stories mm. written about these characters and work with great writers and great directors to make, to make them come to life. Okay. Uh, which I think that's one of the reasons, that's one of the reasons I was excited about James Gunn doing this is he knows the right people to pick to do, to do these things. And he's the right person to oversee these things to say, Oh yeah, this is a good story. Maybe we tweak this, maybe we tweak that. But I think, that's one of the reasons I'm excited about James Gunn doing this. Because one, he also loves these characters. Then I'll also go with Paradise Lost because I don't even know what that is. Well, you're both wrong because it's going to be The Flash. You got another <laughs> beer to talk about? <laughs> yeah, I do. Uh, it's uh, from Empire Brewing. And this is our, well, now going to be uh, Ellicottville Brewing, right? Is that what's happening? It's just going to be Ellicottville? Empire Empire uh, went out of business quite a few years ago. Empire bought their branding and the recipe and the recipes. But now all of Empire's beers are just getting folded into Ellicottville. Okay. So Ellicottville was canning and like labeling yes. things as Empire. And this was one of those cans. And this is uh, their stormy weather. This is a white ale with cranberry and orange peel. And I've been loving white ales. Like, I've been drinking, picking up uh, 
12 packs of the Alagash White. It's just an easy drinking beer, something like that goes well with dinner, like no matter what you're uh, eating. And it's usually a, like Alagash White is a lower ABV. It's like four point something. But this is a bigger boy. This is a uh, 6.2%. And with that little bit of cranberry zest, that cranberryness and that orange, it still has that orange peel pop like Alagash White has. This just is a little bit more flavorful, a little bit bigger version of uh, Alagash White. And I really enjoy it. I think it's uh, a light but delightful beer. Yeah. Uh, and you can get that now under the Ellicottville uh, banner in six-pack, 12-ounce bottles. I'm drinking the retro 16-ounce cans. <laughs> yeah, you said they were like almost a year ago. Yeah, they were canned a year ago. But it holds up. Yeah, white it's owl. There's yeah. fruited white owl. I can't see it going anything mm-hmm. too, uh, too off. Chris. I saw you drinking something out of a giant chalice. What are you having? It's, I mean, just just like a goblet. Um, my next beer from Tactical Brewing is their Hatchback Inferno. And the can art and name of this beer are named after the artist who does the can designs. Uh, his, his hatchback car catching fire in a parking lot, which he has a picture up of uh, on his uh, Instagram. But this is a uh, ESB with smoked hops, 4.8% ABV. Um, this is absolutely fantastic. This has that right amount of kind of like bitter tannin from the ESB, but then it's just like a punch in the face of like a nice malty smokiness. Um, I would the Jack's Abbey smoke smoking dagger. dagger. Yeah. It's like that level of smoke on it where I feel like I'm sitting in my car after I was at a bonfire with friends and I'm driving home and I'm like, Oh, I, I smell like smoke. It tastes like that. Uh, absolutely fantastic. The interesting the thing is like this you beer. Said, like smoke to the hops. Like usually you would smoke the malts. But smoking the hops is like crazy. It's fantastic. Um, it seems like this might be one of their beers that they do in their rotation because the original post with the can art for this was back in January. And it seems like they do most of their stuff small batch. I'll talk about that later. Um, so the fact that it was still there like you know, a month later uh, makes me think that they might just keep this around um, because – you know, spoilers, it did get pretty busy in there at, like, towards the end of the night. Like, it was definitely, it ramped up uh, foot traffic-wise, so I can see the beers that they do selling very well or selling out very quick. But, yeah, um, I I really like this one. And it's also, like, the complete opposite of the Mo Muggles Mo problem, so it's, like, hitting just right now, because it's, like, the complete opposite of everything that that beer was. So a palace in for it tonight, boys. There you mm. go. Uh, and I shifted gears uh, dramatically from my black IPA to now an Italian Pilsner. Uh, and I'm drinking from Dogfish Head, their Unora Pilsner. And Unora means 60 minutes. 
So they've made an Italian pilsner that they have hopped it's, for it's an hour. <laughs> if it was sixty minutes, I feel like it would be like fifty minute pizza pie. Uh, what's this? This is what it says right here. That's sixty minutes in Italian. They're lying. <laughs> um, but they have did their sixty minute IPA version of this with hopping it for 60 minutes. Um, And this is a really, I I kept having to sip on it to get my tongue acclimated to it, but it is a really nice crisp Pilsner. Um, I actually really like this. And my first couple sips, I was like, eh, okay, it's a Pilsner. Um, The more I get into it, the more I'm like, oh, that's really pretty good. Interesting. And right now, this is only in their one variety pack. Um, you get this, a Pale Ale, Namaste, and 60 Minute, I believe, in it. Okay. Good batch of beers. Yeah. And this, I mean, this this Pilsner really shines. It's it's really nice. I like well, it. Speaking of shining, what books are you going to be shining a light on this week when you go to the comic book store? Because it's ever the list! Ooh. I started the last one. Okay, I I, will I, guess, start. I guess John, you can go. I'll start this one, uh, and I'm looking forward to a book from Boom Studios, and this is Howard Harrower Number One. Uh, this takes place in the quaint town of Harrow, New York, uh, except this town has its own boogeyman. Uh, known as the Harrower, that uh, is a purveyor of brutanical vengeance on the town. Uh, and it follows a young girl, Alice, who uh, is stumbles into the secrets of this and uh, how she will come out, we do not know. Horror book. Horror book from uh, Boom Studios uh, and the creative team. Not anyone I know. Oh no, it's uh, Justin. It's yeah, Justin, Justin. Jordan. I was gonna say I, I pulled it up when you were talking about it, just so I yeah. could look at it. That was, was one like, of oh, Justin Jordan. Justin Jordan, who is a, a gentleman I do enjoy his books. Um, Luther Strode is still up there as a, a top book for. Oh, that was, I forgot about that one. That was cool with a uh, Tread Moore on art. Yeah, that was dope. Um, yeah, he did the New Guardians book. From the new 52, like that was like the Kyle Rayner with like the different uh, lantern course. I think he also did he do the new 52 Flash? Or not? I don't remember of his new 52 or his. No, like, I know he did. did that was he, Francis Manipal. He did um, Ghost Rider. He was the one that introduced Ghost Rider with the uh, the car, right? Mm. And then he did it with the same artist from Luther Strode. Yeah, uh, Treadmore. Yeah, I don't know. This sounds interesting. Yeah. The the cover for it's cool too. Yeah, that was what caught my eye. Nice. Good thing we'll be talking about covers during. The hey, uh, for me this is actually a very light week. I only have two books coming out: uh, Daredevil number eight and Poison Ivy number nine. So I'm going with Poison Ivy number nine because after spending the entire first arc of the book writing a letter to Harley. Uh, the two of the the gals are finally meeting up here in issue number nine. So it seems like this is going to be kind of a standalone with 
Harley coming out to the West Coast to visit uh, Pamela, written by G. Willow Wilson, art by Marquio Takara. Uh, one of my favorite books from last year. I'm still really enjoying this one. It's a it's a great comic book, and it's just great that it's starring Poison Ivy. Like I never thought a Poison Ivy book would be on my monthly pull list. I don't even have a Batman book on my pull list right now, but I'm reading Poison Ivy every month. What's surprising is that it only takes one letter to get a friend to come up and visit you. So, next time I need it, I'm just going to write a letter. It might take me a full year. <laughs> it might take me even longer to read it, because it's not a comic book. I'm not good. Comic book. You're gonna have to put it. You're gonna make have to make it a dramatic reading, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> but Paul, what will you be reading? I'm, you know, like nothing was really catching my eye as a number one or anything interesting to bring to the table later on for the look back. So I'm gonna dive back into the High Republic here with uh, Star Wars: The High Republic number five. This is continuing on the uh, story uh, that the Open Hand is attacking Jitta, and now the full battle is beginning. Uh, the Herald of the Open Hand. This is so weird. The second volume is a prequel to the prequel, which is the High Republic. So, um, okay, because my question was going to be like, originally when you gave me the title for the show notes, I was like, oh, did is this like Star Wars the High Republic something? Because they've done like High Republic the Blade or like Shadow Assassins, like, but they re. They relaunched. We renumbered and renumbered it. Yeah, for this. Uh, did they call? It, it, they don't call it episodes, but this second part or the second series of the High Republic, second phase. They they are they're calling it phase of the High Republic. They went back in time, um, to kind of give you the the origins of basically everything of uh stuff like that. So yeah, this is taking place before the events of uh the the uh tragedy of the legacy run. They should have called it the Higher Republic, so I know it's a different book now. Yeah. Yeah. Star Wars, I'm available. <laughs> very very well, meager you, consultation send, fee. That's all I ask. Just so give send me Star Wars to, comics. Give me uh Email Calvin Scott, who's the writer and like seems to be overseeing all the uh, High Republic comics and also some of the books. Also the books. Uh, and yeah, it's right here. It's next to me. Yep. I got it. You got it. You got this the book. one. Hey, the Rising Storm. Hey, yeah. second second book in the uh, first first. It's, phase. it's in here with whoop, Christmas card. Hey, Christmas card. <laughs> Man, I love reading. Was there anything in that Christmas card? There was. Oh, I, I don't have it anymore. Okay. I, put, I put the code in. Sorry. Good. Good. I, I was just worried that somebody stole it because I actually put it in a PO box. And like days later, people are like, don't put things in PO boxes. And I'm like, why not? And like people are stealing things out of PO boxes like during Christmas. Like, like so we say PO box, you mean just like the, the blue yeah, the, pull down? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Apparently, like apparently there weren't enough people to collect them. And so they were getting full. And then people were coming in, like, crowbarring them open to steal uh-huh. gift cards and cash and everything out of, out of them. But I think that was happening in, like, the bigger cities and not... Mm-hmm. Not Lackawanna, New York. <laughs> yeah. You think people were reading those 
doxing me left and right cards (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah they were sitting there reading it being like oh that's nice and then you know putting the check aside and then like reading the next one in a dramatic i mean dramatic fashion um much you mean like in a uh dramatic fashion that we do here in the pagan broadcast are you saying now we present a dramatic reading dark wing duck number one page 10 panel three who's there and that was a dramatic reading from Darkwing Duck. One. You, you don't have a better Darkwing Duck voice? No, I, I cannot do Jim Cummings tribute <clears throat> like that. And John, that segue was so smooth. I didn't. I, I slipped all over it. Like I didn't even <laughs> notice it was a segue. I I slipped and fell past the next segment. That that. And now we're here in, in the main topic, guys. Do you guys have Chris, another beer yet, or are we holding off on that? Just for my own. I'm, I'm, like, own I'm like not even halfway through this. My second the, one. John has one, I think. John, you can go ahead, man. I'm, I'm I, feeling. I blew too. through the the bitter there. Like it was so easy to drink, even with that that smoke. Like it it didn't harsh the beer. Like it just kept you coming back. Like delightful so i'm like i'm ready to go like uh i love an esb it's such a good style uh but i am not drinking an esb i am having another beer from dogfish and this is their nordic spring ipa and this is an ipa brewed with orange peel juniper needles and berries and i wasn't sure what to expect out of this beer it is a very soft, easy drinking for six and a half percent. It tastes like just a really nice pale ale. Like there's nothing like you really don't get the orange peel. You don't get the the juniper in it. But it is really nice to drink. I really like it. Um, a little bit on that. You know, the sides of your cheek, the back of your tongue, that little bit of dry your mouth out um, after sitting a little bit after having it. Um, but this is just really, really nice. Um, dogfish head. I haven't I wouldn't say that I've had anything like super outstanding. I think like two years ago they put out um, their IPA, their hazy IPA they made with oat milk, which was pretty it was pretty good it was a nice enjoyable drink um but then to have like this pilsner and then the nordic spring here i'm pretty happy with kind of the the direction they're starting to go at uh at dogfish like it's something i'm like oh i think i might would check out more stuff from them you're Mm. are you smirking at me or are you smirking about how good your beer is my beer. <laughs> um, so the next beer that I was going to grab was the uh, pineapple vanilla IPA. But then I I remembered I crowdsourced my beers for this episode and asked you guys which ones you think I should get. 
So I put that one back, and then I pulled out the Guavango Montoya. Mm. This is a Florida Weiss with guava, because they're putting that in everything now. Mango and marshmallow. Six point, or I'm sorry, 5.5% ABV. And yes, the can art is Inigo Montoya. Uh, it does really look like Mandy Patinkin, which I really enjoy. But on his sword, he has, like, the mangoes and the guava. Um, so you could say that's a Manny Pink cam? You could. I'm not going to, though. <laughs> I did. Uh, but this is absolutely <laughs> delicious. Um, it's the right amount of that tropical fruit sweetness. Like a little bit of like that nice like marshmallow depth. Are you getting one of these, too? Yeah, yeah, I just grabbed a can of it from the fridge, too. <laughs> um, I've always had really good things to say about Ellipsis Brewing and their, like, fruit beers and their sours. This is much akin to something that they would do, where it's just that wonderful depth of fruit flavor. Um, fan- fantastic. Um really good and guava they're putting it in everything but it takes the right amount of guava to be in something before it gets like too much and too gross and you get that like or no it's passion fruit that has like that foot kind of taste to it yeah Um, uh, passion fruit mm -hmm. I always say it walks a fine line between having like a nice passion fruit flavor or like an armpit like just that yeah. Um, this this is great. I I absolutely love this one too. Um, all my beers tonight have been fantastic. Um, I'll, I'll follow up at the end of the show with my thoughts on tactical. If you guys didn't put it I together was, already, I was amazed when you sent like just the fridge with all the different beers, kind of like, hey guys, what should I get? Mm-hmm. And everything I kept looking at was like, well, that sounds pretty good. That sounds pretty good. And all the can art is really cool. It's really good. So it was kind of interesting that I was like, I remember one of the times we went down there. Because a lot of times when we go down, I try to find different breweries or stuff that's popped up that maybe Chris hasn't found. Um and this was one that was like one of the times we were going down there. I think it was one of the times it was just you or um, Caitlin and myself with you, Chris, that mm-hmm. it had just or it was about to open. So that was probably is possible for I mean, it was before Grayson. So it's four or five years ago. Um, also, I mean, they they're in. It's a little bit of a drive. Like, it's not super far, but it's far enough away that it's, like, one of those things, like, if I do want to go there, I'm, I'm going to have to, like, think about it on a day off. Um, but they have, like, shorter hours. Like, the day that we went, they didn't open till like, 5 or 6 o'clock. Like, it was, uh, it was a Monday, and it's like, oh, they open late, and then they're open until 10. Um, I don't want to – I don't want to derail the main topic, so I'll – I'll wrap up at the end of the show. So I'll probably have yeah, another sure. another beer to close out tonight, and I'll talk about it then. Um, Paul, did you want to grab anything else, or are you good? No, no, I'll wait until the next 
next one because I've, I'm I'm feeling these two right now. So I, I finished up one sixteen ounce. I'm halfway through this sixteen ounce, and I'm I'm feeling good, feeling good. Nice, and I'm feeling good about our main topic this week because, like I said, up at the front of the show, it's February. Valentine's Day is coming up, so what better way to celebrate than talk about the comic creators that we love? Uh, starting right off with the cover artists, because I I talked about this with you guys at in our post show stuff last week. Um, this idea really came from just my love of what Dan Mora, uh, an artist that we love, working on Batman Superman World's Finest right now on the interiors. Just the work that he's been doing on covers over at DC right now, because if there's a DC comic book coming out, chances are really good that one of the variant covers of that book is being done by Dan Mora. And he just has like this wonderful, clean style that just boils down the characters to their their very essences and Mm -hmm. completely just nails it. And he did a line of Robin variant covers that were throwbacks to other Robin covers from like the 90s and 2000s that I absolutely loved, which is really what sparked the idea for this this whole month now. Uh, honestly. So are we going to bring three cover artists? I, I figure three because yeah. we usually I, do things. I did want to mention Dan Mora because of his work on World's Finest. Mm-hmm. Well, the World's his- Finest covers – are knockout. Yeah. They're knockout. They're, they're dynamic. They feel like they could be a page inside a panel inside of the comic itself. There's often word balloons, which was, has been like a giant no, no, like for comic book covers for the longest time. They feel throwbacky, but yet they're still done with a very modern uh, take. You know, it feels clean and modern, but somehow a throwback. Yeah. on the world's finest and i really enjoy that and have you seen i think his nightwing uh what is it it's the one where it's like nightwing and batgirl like yeah. just standing up and it's like a yellow background uh that was my phone background for a while because for my phone backgrounds I was that 78 like, or was that what what number no, it's probably 90 something um i don't know if i have it 90. saved in my uh photo roll anymore um, but for my phone backgrounds, I like to have just like clean, clear, like comic arts. And actually right now, my my background is like Bruno Redondo's Nightwing. Oh, just, oh yeah, just number 99. Oh, no, that's uh, it's from 100 because yeah, it's amazing. Um, but yeah, Dan Moore is basically what sparked this whole thing. And I'm OK if somebody wants to pick him as one of your three picks or if we just want to all like collectively say like, yeah, yeah I, like he's great. Just so like we can still all talk about him and then have three picks to go. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm down for that because he definitely would be on my um, pick. And again, like as a artist, um, I really didn't know who he was until World's Finest. And as soon as World's Finest hit, I was like, oh man! I started following him on uh, like Instagram, and I remember like before the book came out when he had the he put up a picture of the Batman Superman suit with that bat S logo. And I remember, I think I sent it to you, Chris, like, Oh man, yeah. like I love the the way this looks. Um, but yeah, like just the world finest logo 
um, title plate, whatever you want to call that for it, is so retro but so clean, and it still feels new even though it has this feeling of old. Um, Well, also, I don't know. Did you wind up picking up the Ninja Turtles Power Rangers? Yeah. Crossover? He's doing, like, I don't know if it's, like, a triptych or if it's more, but he's doing, like, a almost, like, gatefold cover for that book where it's all the turtles and all the Power Rangers, like, but if you put them all together, it's, like, one consecutive piece. And I thought about buying that book physically just so I could have that cover because I was like, oh, this would look good to frame with, like, the other covers kind of, like, on a wall somewhere. Uh, the book's pretty good. I'm actually probably going to keep picking it up. I got to go to the comic book shop either tomorrow or the next day to get my books for the week. Uh, so maybe if they still have it, I'll grab it. I'll, I'll put this out there. Uh, Casey Jones. Bad Power Ranger in it. Like he's. Ooh, that makes sense. I don't in, like it. But turns like into it. a ranger, but he's working for the bad guys. Uh, and his suit looks pretty cool. And his weapon looks pretty cool. Um, is, this, I, is he a hockey Nightwing player? 99, Paul, sorry. Yeah, 99. And did he see his, uh, the, for 99, the non-variant cover, where it's all black, and it's just, like, the blue highlights, also done by Dan Mora? Uh, or that might have actually been, that actually might have been the cover that I got when I bought it, I think. Yeah, that's so good. And uh, it's just so good. It's okay. Yeah, Dan and, Mora is definitely one of those artists that I will... I will follow like we we've we've had this conversation before on the show and that he is an artist. I will now follow onto a book and be happy about it. And like, yeah, like it was a great selling point, uh, him being the artist uh, or the cover artist and stuff on that Ninja Turtles Power Ranger book. Uh, I'm going to name a comic artist here uh, because it it works well with talking about. Dan Mora and the classic background, just a straight background and a hero. I I'm I I don't want to cut you off, but I do want to kind of make note that you were making many a finger. Oh, because because I want to get ahead of this because I think (laughs) I think this is a very interesting thing to discuss because you buy your comics all digitally still. Mm -hmm. John and I have both dipped back into the actual brick and mortar physical comic book stores to go buy our books. Yeah. And I still buy some stuff. I'm, I'm, like I'm probably like 50, 50, but for the most part, like I'm building a pull list still online. And then when I'm building my pull list, I'm looking at the variant covers because I want to be like, Oh, if they have that one, when I go to the store that week, I want to see if I can get that one. Just, it doesn't matter. Like I'm looking at it one time and then it's going in my box, but there, there's covers that I like more than some others. And you were like, well, I buy my books digitally. So I just, I don't pay attention to what's on the cover. So I don't know if I could have like anything to like, pull yeah, from or I, add. So after you started thinking about your homework assignment for the past week, have you kind of circled back? I circled a little bit back. Like I did some homework in order to like get me here to this point where like, okay, yeah. When I'm scrolling through, like when I'm doing the pick of the week, right. Or not the pick of the week, the, uh, the list. Um, I'm looking at the digital like cover to see if I would even be interested in it. That's the first thing that still catches my eye. It's different because like I have to be looking, 
looking for like something for the podcast. Like, oh, is this this list look interesting enough for me? Or if it's something that I'm thinking about, like uh, just picking up just on a whim, like a cover can turn me off. Very rarely does the cover like put me onto a book. Like I have to be interested in the book already. And if the cover isn't great, then it might be like, never mind, don't want it. Very rarely do I look at a cover and be like, I have no interest in this book. I don't know what this character is. I don't care about it at all. And being like, you know what, though? The cover's got me. I'm, I'll pick up the book just on the cover. Um, That's, I think, how I was even when I went to a comic book store. And now digitally, it's even worse because it's like. I'm. I will look at the name of the title of the book and the number and then look up at the cover, you know, the thumbnail of the cover. But, you know, I'm I'm here. I'm doing the podcast. I'm ready. No, I I just I I thought it was interesting that. You're like, oh, I, I, I don't know. Like. I had to really look at the books that I've bought. And then go through like those covers and then go back and like try to figure out who the the comic book creator was that did the cover and like realize what I liked in the cover. And years ago, DC did a whole like month long thing where every cover for every book was just a white background and a hero. And maybe they had their like their emblem in the background. I love. Those oh, yeah, covers. I remember that. Yeah love those covers and i think that's really informed me about what i like about covers and jen bartell who's been doing the covers for she hulk that i've been picking up delivers that it's just she hulk on like a one color background in a heroic pose or it's a pose of her just being like working at a bed you know working at a desk or hanging out with another character but it's like Simple, monotone background, She-Hulk. Great. Love it. Jen Partel's delivering that. And uh, really enjoying that because of it. And there are variant covers, apparently, that you know are more dynamic. But you know what? That's all I want. No, that that's okay, because I think she's primarily just a cover artist. Like, I don't know if she's done interiors on anything but as soon as you said her name like i was like oh yeah because she did some really cool runaways covers too and i if you're just doing covers and i know your name and i i could see your artwork and be like oh that's jen bartel because she has like i'm trying to think how to describe it it's like a very 80s pop inspired it's like i don't remember the name of the artist that did it um it's like Patrick Nagel that did like the artwork that you see outside of every salon where it's like the, oh, okay. like, you know, like the high, high contrast, like pinks and purples. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, exactly. Like uh, with the woman with that one purple the, yeah, like of hair, a shock of hair, like yeah. very androgynous. And, say, still and, that, and that shock of hair is the same color as the background that she's on. And I think it's purple, but I don't know if I can see purple. <laughs> I, I feel like Jen Bartel kind of went to that same school of art or was like very much inspired by that kind of like visual flourish. 
Yeah, if you uh, look at the hair covers of for uh, Blackbird from Indie Comics, you, you can definitely see. I can I can see what you're talking about. She also did apparently covers for Archie. Oh, we we like Archie. Yep. Archie number twenty five. She did the cover art for, and that is definitely what I'm talking about. Solid background color and just the characters being there. Yes, no, I, I think okay. solid pick. And then um, if you guys aren't familiar with these artists or you want to see some of the stuff that we do like, I'm writing down all this. So I'll post all of these artists on our Instagram. So it'll be posted like in its own kind of like triptych the week of the show. So you can see who we picked because I, I love comic book artwork, guys. I mean, it's. 50% of the reason why I, uh, I read comic books. Uh, John, I saw you digging through your uh, library behind you. It, as it was... I mistakenly thought we were doing a different topic for the show. So I had to... Well, and, and I found that out right before we hit record. Um, so I've been grabbing books, picking this up, doing this, trying to like rack my brain in a a short span of time. And I, keep I, I do want to apologize again, John. Oh, this I is my own. Had, I wish we had a way to let you know what we were talking about on so the podcast. We talked about well in advance. To- Last episode, we talked about months in advance. <laughs> we talked about this topic. And then Chris also then put out in that same conversation when we were talking about things last episode at the end of the last episode, Chris was like, oh, I put up a bunch of different books up for you guys to pick pick uh, my my look or my trading policy. So we picked that. I bought it. I read it. And for some reason in my head. I was going to pick. That, that we were doing trading policy. So it's my own fault. I didn't look I didn't go back and look for some reason. It was in my head. We were doing trading policy. But well, I I thought you were just like super excited to read the book because like the next day you're like, oh, I read it really good. <laughs> yeah, I. Everybody took a nap in Atlanta and I curled up in this beautiful sunroom and uh, and read the book and then was like. Spoiler, guys, I liked it so much about the second volume no, and read um, that, too. I haven't read it yet. And. We'll, we'll talk about this when you record the show. I thought it was something that we had read the first issue of, and we just didn't keep up on it. So Yanni actually has, like, the first two trades of uh, Something is Killing the Children. And then I think she bought the first issue of the spinoff book that just started coming out. It's called like, Slaughter. Yeah, it was, like, Slaughter something. Um, and she, she liked that one, too. So it's kind of like, okay, well, I'm probably really dig this then when we do get around to it. Uh, but I am going to pick the classic cover artist, somebody who's been doing it for years and years and years. Uh, maybe a little too much, and people say maybe it's a little too much light box and this and that, but Alex Ross. Oh, okay. I uh, I thought I knew who you were talking about, and that's not who it was. Uh, yeah, like... Alex Ross covers, and it was one of those things when I I turned and looked at my where we record. I have all my trades up behind me, 
and I turned and I just saw, I just saw that. And I went, Oh yeah, Alex Ross, because those covers are classic. Um, his kingdom come covers, his JSA covers that he did, uh, his Marvel, um, the Marvel version of kingdom come, like all of those are, are just classic. And when he was and did pop up to do variant covers, they all were just really, really great. His his justice, that weird Justice League that was out of continuity with all those classic Justice League and um, Doom, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Doom Legion Scott, of Doom, Legion of Doom. They all were amazing. I mean, you still see losers walking around the mall with his Joker dancing with Harley T-shirts mm-hmm. like uh, uh the one throw blanket I have in like the compartment beneath my couch is I think from kingdom come or one of his other books where like the one side is like all the heroes standing there. And like the backside yeah, kingdom is, come, yeah. is all the villains. Like and it's, I had it's a cool. really funny image pop into my head that you had a throw blanket with an image of a loser for walking in the mall <laughs> with the t-shirt of Joker and Harley. And I'm like, that is meta as shit, Chris. How did you even get that made? It's way too meta. It's <laughs> just funny to me. No, I yeah, think... It would be a cool throw blanket, though. No, it wouldn't. No, no one. Like, but what if like, it was a picture of Chris pulling out... Chris holding up... The throw blanket. At what point is it meta enough to get cool? sold um no he definitely does have an iconic art style my only complaint about it is kind of what you touched on and i thought you were talking about neil adams at first when you're like oh you know there's people like don't like it too static or whatever you were saying um so that's where i thought you were going with it um my only complaint about his artwork is everybody's built like my grandfather (laughs) yeah that big barrel chested yeah. yeah and and again like everybody yes. looks like 20 years older than he kind of want him to be uh yeah and i think some of that too is just but i'm also 20 years older than i want to be now so you know whatever <laughs> the the slightly oversaturated his art style got very popular and he was doing everybody's covers. But in the end, like when you break down and you look at like just that kingdom come cover, it's just amazing. And even just thumbing through the book, his art style is, it is really great, but doing covers only. I know, but when you you (laughs) don't open up the book, when you look at those covers, like yeah, look at the cover, you know, John. That the the the, the Superman's like just smoking after being, you know, his covers are classic. And if you saw those covers, if I was buying books when Kingdom Come was coming out, and I saw those covers, I would buy that book. Like I would be like, I don't know what it is, but that is just the classicest of classic Superman. I had a Kingdom Come Superman T-shirt for for years. Uh, I was the only Superman T-shirt I ever had. Um, but yeah, like I, I, it it was really weird that it was Superman dancing with a guy wearing a T-shirt. T-shirt. 
The Joker. Superman <laughs> wearing the shirt of me holding up the blanket of the guy. <laughs> um, I think, but that that's definitely the reason. Like, he is known for that style. Like, his covers are iconic. There's, he is like the Norman Rockwell of comic book art because his style is so grounded and I'd, it sounds bad to say stuck, but it is like focused in on an era of those characters. And it, it's squarely in like, like the golden, like, or silver age. Like you, you look at his flash and it's always going to be the Barry Allen with like the, like the flaps down. Yeah. The, the diamond. It's always going to be like the spit curl Superman. Like so it, it, the, the star underwear, Wonder Woman. like it's always going to be like that. Like you close your eyes and think like Batman. Mm-hmm. It's, it's going to be that version of Batman. So, yeah, I have no issues with that pick. Not that we're vetoing, vetoing anything, but like, no, like I get, thank you. Thank you. I, get I why. appreciate it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Chris, your, yes. uh, your number three pick. Number three pick is someone that we've actually read a book that she wrote and did the art for. And she is one of the Marvel Stormbreakers artists now. It's what they're calling the Young Guns now. Like, it, it used to be like, they're like, hey, yeah. this is to be a young guns. And now they, they've dubbed it Stormbreakers. Um, remember but when Scotty Young was a Young Gun? I, I do remember when uh, Steve McDivin was a Young Gun. Yeah. Old. <laughs> but that was a little weird because Steve McNevin came from, you know, cross cross gen, right? Yeah, cross gen. Yeah. Um, but uh, my pick is Japanese illustrator and creator uh, Peach Momoko, and she did the X Men Demon Days book that we read the first issue of, which was like the samurai Psylocke known as Psy that was traveling through the countryside fighting demons that just happened to look like the Hulk or Omega red um, that really put her on the map for me. And I started just following her on Instagram and much like how, if you're reading a DC comic book and one of the variant covers is probably done by Dan Mora. If you're reading a Marvel book, 99% of the time, one of the uh, variant covers is going to be by peach. And she has just this, beautiful dreamy like watercolor painted style that any character she does you're instantly just like wow that's gorgeous like in a couple months there's a like patsy walker uh hellcat book coming out and she did one of the covers for it and after seeing that cover i was like oh maybe i should pick up hellcat like that looks beautiful I'm not going to, but her style is so fantastic that after I started following her on Instagram, like I realized like every single piece of artwork that she does, like I'm just liking it, loving it. And I wish those could just be the covers that I get for my Marvel books, but they tend to be like the one in 50 like specialty covers. That's not just like cover A, cover B. It's like the retailer incentive covers. Um, her her artwork's amazing. I absolutely love it. Um, it's so fun. It's playful. It's 
kind of like the Jen Bartel stuff where it's usually just a character on a white background, but then she's painted in the details of it. Um, but absolutely love it. And John, you just came back. Uh, I'm talking about Peach Momoko. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Sorry. Uh, and I'm I'm just dropping like a mystique cover into the chat now, just so you have a frame of reference for what I was. Uh, you know what? I think about. I can give John a frame a frame of reference real quick. After life with Archie. One of my favorite artists, Francisco Francavilla. Like he delivers a creepy yet enticing cover better than anybody else. I don't like horror. Hate horror. I will. People are like, oh, Paul, this horror movie is really great. I'm like, great. I love it that you love it for yourself. I'm going to stay over here. Paul, you know who loves who loves horror? Who loves horror? Your artist. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This guy, though, like. When I see him on like an Archie book, I'm like, okay, let's let's read that. Let's do it. Let's go. Um, yeah, after life with Archie wouldn't be as good if it wasn't for the Francisco Frangivilla covers. So uh, that's why I'm picking him as my number two because I don't, you know it's like that classic AC, EC horror, yeah, EC comics horror. Like style covers, like it's just it's throwbacky, just like what we were saying about Dan Mora. It's throwbacky, but it works. And with Archie, that's what you want. You want it to be throwbacky, but somehow be mo- modern and work. And that's why I really liked. I love all the covers for Afterlife with Archie, the Chilling, uh, uh, Chilling um, Tales with Sabrina, and. He didn't do the one with the uh, Salem. He was, didn't do that. Well, he did a variant. I think he did one of the covers for it. Yeah, yeah, a variant. But yeah, he didn't but, do the interiors on it. He didn't do the main. Um, yeah, but yeah. After there we go. Franco pick Francisco Francavilla. Anybody have a problem with that? Like, this no, anybody want to? Anybody want to want to agree and be like, oh, I would have picked that if I thought of it or. Yeah, no, I like I said, Paul, he's one of my favorite artists. Like, I love him. I follow him. I was easily popped up his Instagram and was showing like some of his his pictures on the on the stream here. Like, yeah, no, I I love his art style. Um, He's definitely someone like if I had the money, I would have a ton of sketches and stuff from him. Like I would I would pay the 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 commissions to have just the coolest stuff that that he does and like when you when i thumb through his like instagram it's it's all amazing and his use of colors and it doesn't always have to be that big bright orange that he does do in a lot of his covers like he he can use other colors uh uh for it but yeah no i i love the pick i i Love it enough that I agree with you, and I I would probably put it in my if I had a top five, it would probably be somewhere in my in my five. Uh, but who is right now my number two? Uh, 
is the artist who is on probably one of my favorite comic books of all time. One of the books that when I first started dating my wife, I introduced her to. She has a Gus tattoo on her arm, and that is Fiona Staple. Uh, Her covers for Saga are all unbelievable. John's wife, by the way, also ranks in his top five as Power Rankings. (laughs) (laughs) Behind you and me, though. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's pre-show uh, joke. <laughs> pre-show joke. Uh, oh, these are my best friends. I guess I'm nothing. Uh, <laughs> oh, Kate, Kate's here. Hey, Paul. Hey. <laughs> hey. <laughs> um, yeah. That's a last uh, show joke. Uh, her art. Wait, just... we're becoming as meta as a throw sh- <laughs> it's a throw blanket. Go ahead. Go ahead, John. Fiona Stevens. Uh who also worked on Archie, by the way. And did some amazing covers for Archie. With with Mark Wade. Um yeah, she's she is uh I think fantastic. Um with reading Saga, you saw her art style really kind of um grow and become even better, and it shines in some of those covers because some of those covers I had on my like Chris has had uh, you, you put it on your phone. It's like it's your background. It's your this, your that. Like I've loved. I don't have a blanket of it though. I've loved so many of yes. her covers that it's like I wish this was a T-shirt. I wish I could get this. I wish I had this print. Um, but yeah, her stuff is is great. It pops with color. Um, it it has simplicity, um, but it also like tells the story of what's going on in that story and you just think of like um the will sitting there with lion uh with lion cat like them just kind of sitting on like a hill is just like it just sticks out in my mind as one of those great things even like the little daughter's hand and the big alien hand like touching her finger like they're just um they just like are are powerful especially if you're into that story. Like they have extra significance. Uh, Magic the Gathering does a thing now that they call secret layers where you can get, it's like a curated collection of cards and it might be three to five, just like single cards. Godzilla like was one. Yeah. They, they did a thing like that um, where it's all artwork done by a certain artist where they bring them on to just do alternate art for famous or important Magic the Gathering cards. Um, I have one. Uh, it's a cycle of land, so it's like the plains, islands, swamps, mountain, forest, all done by Mark Riddick, who does a lot of like death metal artwork, because I really like his style a lot. And I don't play with them, but I did buy like a cool display from Hobby Lobby that I sleeve the cards and like put them in there to put up on my wall because the cars themselves have art. The art is beautiful. And Fiona Staples did one. And it was one of the ones that I was like, I love all of this, but I feel like I'm not a big enough fan of her artwork to spend like the $30 for like four (laughs) trading cards to put up on the wall. But it's one of the things like that. When I saw them, I was like, but it is really cool artwork. Um, yeah, I think she's another solid, solid. And like, all, 
stylistic choice. And all the ha- uh, stock bros decided to short Hasbro because of it. Oh, stock bros. Well, they don't like the secret players and they don't like what they're doing. You've, you've heard but about that. whole. I've, I've heard about this, but Hasbro. They, they don't like it. But the secret layers are part of what drives Hasbro's profit, because as much as people might not like that, there is a subset of fans or collectors that will just buy those up by the dozens just to have them because collective uh, collectible speculative market, like eventually those things will go up in price. Like, and there are people that like actually play the game using those cards and they will want to buy a full playset. And when you buy the secret layer, you're only getting like one of each of those cards. So if I want to buy like, a full playset of the lands that I have, I'd be buying like a dozen of yeah. those secret layers at thirty bucks a pop. Like, so yeah, they're they're doing fine. They're fine. But yeah, dude, bros ruin everything. Pretty much, pretty much, Chris. Uh, my next pick is an artist that's been on my watch list for a while and same thing like follow him over on instagram and he's one of the artists that if i do see a cover on the shelf for a book that i am buying or reading i will buy it like the world's finest number one cover that i bought was actually done by this artist and this is uh stanley lao or aka art germ uh, he solely does digital cover artwork. You might not know his name. Um, he's from Hong Kong, but uh, just not crisp enough when I try to hold it up. Um, okay. But his style's very much just like iconic version of the characters, like from like a mid shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't you can't see me holding up my phone. Um, I saw like a couple of the Supergirl ones, and I'm like, okay, I recognize that. He's he's all it's all digital painting. Mm-hmm. That's Cora from Legend of Cora. Um, you look up his artwork as soon as you see it, it'll be like, oh yes, like there's something about his it's very art. computer animated, it, very it's CG. very computer digital painted, but there's like an ethereal like movement to each one of his pieces that there's just something about that it just it just sings to me like. Like a siren's call. Like when I see his artwork, I'm like, oh, that's brilliant. Like I absolutely love that. Um, and it's been that way since we got back into comics because he's been active in the field for so long that I think his art for covers is probably some of the, the ones that I've seen the most. Um, so much of the fact that like DC has even put out like collected print, uh, well, print collections of his artwork, like oversized style, just for like framing. And mm. I, I thought about grabbing it because his artwork's just beautiful and it belongs in a museum to, to quote <laughs> a think, famous archeologist. It does look like it tends towards the cheesecake though. It's, it's a little cheesecakey, but it's not over the top. Like, sexualized like and that's what i think like none of these nobody's breaking their because it's mid shot it's not like they're doing the the no there's the back back breaking pose of showing off somehow both their front and their back at the same time yeah like it's 
it's much more PG, I guess. I, I don't know how to okay. to say it. Like, but it. I just love his style. Like, I just think it's great. But yeah, that, that's my uh, my number two. Gian. Oh, I get to do my number one. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Uh, my number one, I think, is up there is probably one of the all-time greatest cover artists. So great that in 52 weeks, he did 52 covers. And that is J.G. Jones. Um, Those covers were amazing. Uh, Why the Last Man? Uh, I know Mm -hmm. a big book from you guys. He did the first 17 covers of that. Um, uh, Final Crisis, like... I absolutely love his art. I continued to pick up Frankenstein, Agent of Blah Blah Blah, because he was doing the covers for that. And I kept buying them and then opening up the books going, this isn't his art. It's crappy art inside, but his covers kept making me buy the goddamn book. Uh, but yeah, I, I've i loved J.G. Jones, his his art style and his covers um since 52 when i was like whoa uh i love this um yeah jg jones also i'm not going to put an explicit tag for that gd right there because literally the frankenstein's monster is damned by god Mm. so it, it doesn't it so we're fine we don't need an explicit tag good no, jobs, losers. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> yeah, put that uh, J- put that on a throw blanket for me. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I might now. Uh, Christmas next year. Uh, no, JG Jones is a great pick. I it's a great poll. It's I was looking at the books that I bought recently digitally and going through those, but JG Jones probably would be my number one. Now that you mentioned it from 52, because they told a story without giving the story away. Yeah. You have that. I just as soon as you say him in 52, I think of that picture of the gravestone and it's Blue Beetle or uh, Booster Gold, who's a fan favorite, by the way. Fan favorite. Fan favorite. Booster Gold. He's like the, uh, the, Renee, the guava of superhero comics. Renee Montoya and... Who's the third one that's also walking away? Um, it's Renee Matoya, Booster Gold, and one other person. I can't. I'm blanking on the third. Walking away from the uh, gravestones, and then I know like, the, the card you're talking about. And then the the last one is like it's Renee Matoya is out of the question, and it's Blue Beetle and third person. Opening it now, opening it now, 52, number one, zooming in, question. Who is that? I don't know who it is. It looks like Renee Montoya, but the question's also there. Oh. And then Booster Gold, and then in the background, like, there's Steel, and I think Max Lord, maybe? I can't tell. Such a good, such a good series, such a good run of covers. Um, but I was thinking more recent, so I of course had to go with Nightwing because those covers have been epic. 
And those covers have been done by... Oh, my goodness. I'm going to hit back real quick. Uh, (laughs) Bruno Redondo. And uh, just very energetic, but also very in keeping with the characters themselves. Is that my my phone background right now? Yep. Uh, We we talked about Dan Mora already, who's been doing some great variant covers for this book. Better that way? Okay, I have to drop my brightness down all the way. Yep. Yeah, that's Uh, what I got to do. And just like I love the new Nightwing logo too, with the the word Nightwing and then the his emblem like within it, like all that on the cover, just works so well. Uh, yeah. So Bruno Redondo. I I thought you were gonna go with another uh, J dot name with uh, J H Williams the third. Oh, because you love those just Batwoman covers and yeah. Yeah. And just all also his other cover art. I was thinking more recent, like I was, I kind of went recent, but yeah. I, yeah. I totally understand. Like that one. Yeah. I yeah. had Greg Smallwood all who's time, doing the I, human target books. Mm. Like those all have been amazing. Like they would want, they would make me want to pick up the book. Yeah, I went. I, I definitely fell into the recency bias with this. Um, so I'm gonna throw them out there just because I thought you would have picked them, so I left them off my list and found someone else instead. But I'm surprised you didn't go with Cliff Chang. Yes. Yeah, I thought I thought I thought one of you guys would pick Cliff Chang because his cover artwork's great, and he is still doing stuff. Um, recently, I mean, Paper Girls, he was the artist on that and cover artist, and then the uh, Catwoman. Lonely City, which I really liked, but I didn't keep up on because I think at the time buying it digitally, I was like, this is a lot to pay for a digital book. And then when I started going to the comic book store, I was like, oh, it's like an oversized edition. And I don't mean like it's thicker. I mean, it's like if this is regular comic book, it's like one and a half times the size. And I was like, I don't have a box that's going to fit comic books. It is. Um, I don't have a box that can fit that. Cliff Chang did the um, Bat Batgirl uh, Purple Rain, right? Yes, where it's yeah. like he did like a whole line of comics or covers, uh, I guess, for uh, DC Woman. where they were all like '80s movies themed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was like a Breakfast um, Club, like Teen Titans. Yeah. And uh, what's his I'm, uh, uh, toe? Um, oh, man, I can't think of his name. Paulo Rivera was another one too. Arkansas. I thought about Paulo Rivera, but I when I looked him up, his covers and I I don't know how to say this without sounding um, derogatory to one of your previous picks. It was like a better Alex Ross. Yeah, I would agree. It's I like all just like that. Like it's all like uh, he puts like you. He'll I follow him on Instagram too, and he'll put a picture of like him making a pose, and then him basically turning that into like the cover and stuff. Um, I, I thought I definitely thought about him, but then I was like, I haven't picked up anything from him since we were reading like Daredevil like 10 yeah. years ago. So I don't know what he's on now. And he might have been doing covers he still that I just covers. haven't taken notice of. But like, yeah. I know some more of the some of the more recent work of his I had seen was him doing stuff for the MCU where it was like, 
a Captain Carter poster or like an Iron Man poster where it was like Robert Downey Jr. Who took over after Paulo Rivera? I think it was Frank Avila, wasn't it? Just on the book itself, who he worked with Wade a bunch. Cause he, I think it was Francisco Francovella. No, yeah, he uh no, Francovella was doing um he was doing Hawkeye, which also those covers are great too. Oh, maybe that's what I'm thinking about then. Okay. Um No, he the two of them did a bunch of stuff together. They did Black Widow. Chris Amney? Chris Amney, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That'd be a solid pick, too. Yeah, all the, right. one, the Mighty I, One was great. His All of those covers. That was Somni. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's nine. And if with, <laughs> with Dan and Mora, that's ten. We got our top I didn't ten. do my last one yet. Oh, you didn't do your last one? Go oh. ahead and do your last one. Was that's like, nine. Oh, Give us nine, number ten. That's eight. Um, my final one is not just one of my favorite comic cover artists, but after discovering his artwork on comic book covers, he became one of my favorite actual like fine artists. And this is James Jean. He did all of, well, almost all of the covers for Vertigo's Fables comic book. Um, he also did a bunch of stuff for Batgirl and Green Arrow. And he just has such a lovely, amazing style that if I could afford it, I would love to have a James Jean cover hanging somewhere in my apartment but they're like it's like jim lee prices for covers or it's like six thousand dollars and i can't afford that um i'm just settling right now i have three prints from his fables covers hanging up in my kitchen because i i bought the fable print book years ago and most of them i did not keep but i saved like four of my all-time favorites um but like i said he his comic book artwork is amazing, but now when people ask me my favorite artists, I don't say like Van Gogh or McCree. It's like, oh, James Jean, because I have favorite James Jean paintings. And then it's also like, oh, he also did all the covers. So like some of my favorite comic book runs. I'm surprised that you didn't pick uh, Dave Johnson. He w- he was on my list. Okay. Um, because see, how, see how I know you guys? I, I'm, I'm surprised you didn't pick Mike Mignola. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, Dave Johnson was definitely someone that was on my list, not just because his covers are awesome, but he did a reoccurring segment on a, some comic book website where he would go over like the worst covers of the week. And it wasn't done maliciously, but it was like from a design and art standpoint, it was like, this is why this cover doesn't work. Like, look at the proportions, look at the coloring on this. And then he would like quote unquote fix the artwork by being like, Hey, like if you take this exact same art, but like you switch this color to this, like, or change the shading here, like it's going to make this pop more. And it was like, yes, this is what makes you like a fantastic cover artist. And we saw him at a, uh, yeah. a convention and I was like, Hey, like, are you ever going to go back to doing that? And he was like, 
no, I, a lot of people didn't like it. Yeah, it's like I ruffled way too many feathers and people didn't take it with what but, I meant it to but be. None of what he said was in like a malicious or like talking down way. It was like a instructive and like, hey, color theory, hey, design standpoint. Like, and when and you his, read the article, it, it was like, yeah, that makes sense. And his covers are amazing. Like they're great. He did, he did all the covers for uh, Brian Azzarello and Russo's Hundred Bullets, and those covers are amazing. And when I was picking up those books, if I didn't want to pick up the book because I heard great things about it, those covers alone would have sold me on it because it was just like stark, almost propaganda art, and it, it just jumped off the shelf. So Paul just came back. He took a. He took a break. Uh, my pick was James Jean, but then yeah, John also gave me a chance to talk about Dave Jordan. <laughs> oh, or Dave Johnson. Dave Johnson. And I guys, said, see, I know you guys. I know Paul loves J.H. Uh, uh, Williams III. Mm-hmm. He gave me great picks. I, but I'm also surprised. I kind of <laughs> wish you picked my picks. <laughs> I'm kind of surprised Paul didn't pick Yannick Paquette, too. Yeah, Paquette, I was surprised you know, about that, I do too. have that right there i had a bunch of artists that i figured you guys were going to go for so i was like oh i'll still get to talk about them i don't need to pick on but i went with very recent stuff i'm like what what covers would i pick up now like why am i picking uh, up these? and i spoilers too i thought you were gonna wind up picking um carrie andrews john because i saw you pick up your hulk trade paperback i couldn't find um yeah because i love those he did all those yeah, crazy his covers stuff. are amazing his covers are amazing but I had all of those in issues, so they're in a box somewhere. The trades I have aren't his covers anymore, and oh, okay. I, I couldn't come up with his name. And when I was looking up, I was trying to find him. I couldn't find it. Yeah, his artwork's fantastic, too. He did the uh, Iron Fist, the Living Weapon miniseries, and yeah, like the interiors on that were like beyond dope, too. Um, yeah, so those are our picks. Hey, the cover artists we love and they're all great like and we threw out a ton more <laughs> yeah there's a lot of runner-ups in there too um, that's 15 <laughs> if you don't know any of the people we were talking about like i said head over to our instagram we're bagged and bored uh i'm gonna be putting up a post of each one of our picks so you can see who they are and of course dan moore is probably going to be the uh episode artwork for this should, one because we should be he should <laughs> be he started the whole thing um guys I love me some comic books. I love me some beer. I love me some tactical brewing. That's right. Bringing it back in, like I said, I would. Um, I sent you guys a couple pictures from their brewery while I was there. John, he knows how we didn't make Chris's top five. My top five? No, I only have a top three, and you guys are both up at the top. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you didn't mention just three, so I'm hoping uh, we're four and five. I... I absolutely love this brewery. Um, the beers I had were all fantastic. I went at a weird time because the day that we went, they were coming off of their weekend Lagerzeit, where they had teamed up with a bunch of breweries that they loved, and they brought in lagers from all of those breweries. So they almost had like a tap takeover. They still had some stuff of theirs on tap. And the beers from them that I had were absolutely fantastic. Uh, like I said, the one beer that I had, I don't remember exactly what it was now, but it was like aged in wine barrels with something. I, I'm blanking on it now. I'm not going to look it up. Uh, 
Absolutely fantastic. And the fact that they had so many different types of beer to go, to your point, John, was fantastic. That it was difficult to pick. And that's why I kind of asked you guys, like, hey, which, what should I get? Like, let me know. Um, it was uh, cake drums and red wine. Thank you. Um, I, was just, I, I, yeah, I just I appreciate it. It was um, an imperial I, black lager aged in Cabernet barrels. Then on sweet cherries and cocoa nibs yeah. served in a 12 ounce pour. Uh, and that was number 13, which is, of course, Taylor Swiss lucky number. I was going to say it's the lucky number for me, too, because that beer was the, the best that I had all night. Um, also really dug it, too, because they had a lager there from Thin Man that Yanni got. And she ordered because she saw she was like, oh, Thin Man, Buffalo. I'm going to get one of those. Um it, when we walked in there, it was definitely like a towny bar. Like there was only like two people sitting in there and they both seemed to be regulars because they were talking to the bartender, like just about what they did during the day. But as the night went on and the sun went down, they had um, a food truck come because they don't have a kitchen there. It is like a very small place, but they had a calendar of what food trucks were going to be there what day it was like every night out of the month a different food truck was going to be there so they're teaming up with local people to bring you food uh we had beer tacos which john are fantastic yeah uh, i got the chicken and the beef knockout um so i appreciate the fact that while they didn't have food they found a way to get other local like uh institutions in there to support it and by the time we left that place was jam-packed like all the like the um patio seats were full like all the tables inside were full like some seats at the bar but ultimately great experience i think when you guys come down we are going there like i'm, I'm it's sold. it's not a stopover place it's like a okay we went to the breweries that opened earlier later on in the evening now we're we're going to tactical and, and that's where we'll sit and be for a while. Uh, yeah, I'm down with it, especially if there's a slight chance that I could get a beer at taco. Um, th- that same food truck does pop up at ellipsis from time to time too. So, cause same thing ellipsis doesn't do food, but maybe like every couple days they have a food truck there. So shout out to tactical for locking down places to come by like every single day. Cause we we had a moment like we were sitting there at the bar like we were maybe like two or three beers in in at that point and I asked Deanna, I was like you want to go get tacos and she was like no I'm okay and like I was like oh, crap I'm getting hungry and like I I walked outside and I'm looking I'm like it's like it's right there and I was like it's like right to the left and she's like well can we bring the tacos inside and I was like yeah of course <laughs> like and so then we ordered them and then like they brought them into us and. Everything about that night just sang to me, and I hate that it's a little bit of a drive because I do want to go back. And how I will. Much, and I know Orlando traffic is a thing, but how much of a drive is it? Like a half hour? Um, it was 40, a little. It was a little bit more than that. Forty but minutes. Also, probably close. Um, and a lot of that too is because just with the hours that they have by the time we left the apartment to try to go there, it was like rush hour, which my street gets super busy because I'm in between like a couple schools. So, um, distance, not terrible, but it's the actual drive time is what did it. And then like when you get to where it is, which is an area called Baldwin park, it's 
very like cloistered. Like it's like a s- small town with big city dreams almost. It seems because you're going down like small streets, but on each side of you are like luxury sushi restaurants. And you're like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> you got money to stay here. I got you. I got you. But yeah, um, absolutely fantastic. I look forward to having more of their beers uh, in the future and also next week, because I still have like four more to talk about that we picked up. So next week's new year's our new beers resolution is going to be more tactical. Nice. And I've checked into all of my beers that I had tonight. So I'm keeping up on mine. I'm going to have to do that on untap now, but Hey, thanks for checking in on us again. Uh, we Maybe we should make that listening. a Patreon goal. Like, if we get one <laughs> Patreon, I will have to check into all the beers I ever drink. You should just do it for your own reference. That's why nope. I use it. Nope, somebody has to pay me to do it. Fine, uh, I'll pay you to do it. And and, and he's just subscribe to our own Patreon. He's going to give them all fives. <laughs> but thanks for checking in, whether it's your first or next time being here uh we appreciate you listening especially this far into the episode uh make sure you check back next week we're going to be talking about our favorite writers 